Good morning. Well, we're on the last fruit of the Spirit, self-control. If you open up your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, we're going to be reading 11 through 14 as we talk about this last fruit of the Spirit. Hope you all enjoyed our kids. Thank you, Natalie, uh, for putting that together, Lou Jean, her special helper. And uh, we're grateful that you all let your kids uh, be part of that. I hope you were blessed as I was. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 starts like this. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own. We're eager to do what is good. Uh, Let's pray together, and then we'll dive into this passage. Father God, I'm uh, just incredibly grateful for your grace Uh, for the grace of your spirit uh, that has produced in us your fruit. And I pray, Lord, that as we study this last of the fruit, we pray that you will just guide and lead our conversation. I pray, Lord, that your word uh, will speak boldly to our hearts and our minds. And we pray all these things uh, with grateful hearts. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I heard a story about a stunt pilot who was giving out rides in his single-engine airplane. The cost was per person, except he got in an argument with a pastor. The pastor insisted that he take his wife along at no extra charge. Not willing to miss out on making some cash, the pilot said, I'll take you both up. At that, at that price, for one person, as long as you promise not to utter one single sound during the entire flight. If you make any noise, the price is doubled. So they had a deal. They climbed aboard the plane. The pilot quickly proceeded to put the plane through all kinds of stunts, all sorts of maneuvers designed to make the most bravest of all people tremble. But the pastor didn't make a noise. Exhausted, the pilot finally landed, and as the landed, and as the pilot, as the as the pastor got out, the pilot got out. The pilot said, "You know, I made moves up there that frightened even me, and yet you never made a sound. How do you have so much self-control?" The pastor thanked the pilot, said, I must admit, there was one move that almost made me cry out. And the pilot said, what was that? He said, when you flipped upside down and my wife fell out of the plane. Why is self-control so difficult? If I'm being honest with you, I struggle the most with self-control. 
This morning, I'm going to be honest, I'm preaching to myself, and I hope you join along in this discussion. We're going to talk first about the problem of self-control, then we'll discuss the solution of self-control, and finally we'll look at the application of that solution. And hopefully as we walk away, we'll have the tools needed to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Sound like a plan? All right, all right, all right, church. Write this down. The, the, the problem is this. The lack of self-control is unhealthy. It is unhealthy. I heard a story about a lunch party on a warm Chicago day in early September. There was about co a dozen co-workers who had gathered together. The windows were left open and a yellow jacket fell, found its way in. After it buzzed around a little while, it landed on some food on the table, and someone took an empty bottle of sparkling grape juice and just kind of put the mouth near the yellow jacket. Without a moment's hesitation, the yellow jacket flew to the mouth of the bottle, climbed down that narrow opening, and immediately the colleague put the top on that bottle and screwed it shut. The yellow jacket spent the rest of the party drinking at the bottom of that grape juice. He was completely trapped. He was completely helpless. But he was just drinking as happy as could be, completely unaware of his demise. The lack of self-control is a destructive path that leads us from freedom to bondage. It's a destructive path that leads us from freedom to bondage. The example is seen in the book of Exodus when Moses had led the people of Israel from bondage to freedom, and they set out towards Canaan. And if you remember the story in Exodus, the people began to grumble. They were two months into their trip, and they complained that they were going to die of starvation. These same people who watched as the Red Sea parted, and they walked on dry land, were grumbling that they were going to starve to death and begged Moses. Listen, folks. They begged Moses to take them back to slavery. And so God answered their cries, and he provided manna every morning. And they were told every morning to go out and gather just enough for your family. But some people, they gathered more than enough. They didn't believe God would provide that next day, and that manna became moldy. God said, take enough manna for two days on Saturday, on Friday, and then take Saturday, the Sabbath, off. Some people didn't listen, and they woke up the morning of the Sabbath and looked for the manna, and it was not there. They complained that when they were in slavery, they at least got meat. They didn't have to eat this mysterious manna all the time. It was so boring. 
God gave them quail. And if you remember that story, the people lost their minds. And they gathered as much as they could and more than they needed. And a plague broke out in the camp because of their lack of self-control. You see, Solomon and his wisdom, and I wonder if his mind went back to this story. But in his wisdom, he says in Proverbs 25, like a city whose walls are broken through is the person who lacks self-control. It's an unhealthy picture we saw in Israel. It's an unhealthy picture that Solomon uh, paints for us. The problem with the lack of self-control is that it's unhealthy. But there's a solution. Write this down. The solution is grace. Grace teaches us to say no. It teaches us to say no. The Greek word here for teach is also used to describe a classroom setting where children learn. Have you ever thought of grace as an action word in that way? Have you ever thought of grace being a scenario where you are sitting and learning? Grace is a free gift I receive from God. It's a gift of salvation. But it's also teaching us. Grace is also training us. Grace is more than just a trophy that you put on your shelf. And oftentimes, I think in American culture, we use grace in that way, as something that is to be displayed. I'm, I have grace. I've been saved. It's something I can display. Years ago, Major League Baseball player Manny Mota Jr. came to church here at Cornerstone. His father, Manny Mota, played and coached for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I remember he came back from L.A. once and brought me a baseball that was signed by the Manny Moda. I took that baseball, and it's up in my bookshelf in my office to display for everyone to see. That's not grace. Grace is not on a shelf for everyone to see. It's a gift. Listen to this. It's a gift that transforms our lives. Grace is a gift that transforms our lives. Consider Paul before he received the grace of God. Paul persecuted the church with zeal. He tried to destroy it. He put Christians in prison. He voted for their execution. And Acts 9 tells us that he breathed out murderous threats when he was on his way to Damascus to bind Christians, to put Christians in jail, and to hopefully kill them. We're told in Acts chapter 9 that he met Jesus on the way to Damascus, and his life changed forever. In his own words to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he says, Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, 
I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. He was transformed. Now, if Paul was a trophy Christian, I think Paul would have flipped the page. I think Paul might use his power and influence to put Jews in jail. As a Roman citizen, maybe he would play that card. Try to manipulate the Roman authorities. Use his zeal that once persecuted Christians to persecute the Jews. But no. Paul was transformed by the grace of God. Grace taught him to say no. And instead of persecuting, he became persecuted himself. He lived an upright and godly and controlled life because grace transformed him. Now we've discussed the problem. We've discussed the solution. Now let's get into the practical application. The application is that we live according to the Holy Spirit. Self-controlled Christians are spirit-filled Christians. Self-controlled lives are spirit-filled lives. My son Eli started practicing with the marching band at his school. Imagine with me this scenario. A dispute arises in the marching band, the clarinet players who has studied music her whole life. She's a senior, a leader of her section, and she's arguing with the trumpet player. The trumpet player's also a senior. Although he hasn't studied as much as she has, he has natural talent and ability and plays better than she does. And they are arguing over tempo. Who wins the argument? Is it the, the girl who has studied music her whole life? Is it the boy who is naturally gifted and more talented than the girl? The answer is simple. It's the conductor. Unless they both humble themselves and watch the director... They will never agree on the tempo. Under the conductor's baton, the multitude of talented musicians can play the right notes at the right time, at the right volume, so everything sounds perfect. Self-control is the Holy Spirit's baton in our hearts, under whose skillful direction everything stays in its proper place and comes in at just the right time. You see, to be self-controlled means that we are spirit-controlled. We're under the supervision. We're under the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
And this is a common theme in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not you will not satisfy or gratify the desires of the flesh. And on and on ago, again, in the, whole, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is whom we should be following in our daily lives. We have the power at our fingertips to be self-controlled. The New Testament urges us to live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Oh, I hate that word flesh. Ah. But it's an honest word, right? It's a word that conjures up everything from your stomach uh, longing for a late night ice cream, right? Or your eyes looking at another person lustfully. Your heart when you covet your neighbor's brand new car or your tongue that dresses down a waiter for getting your order wrong. The New Testament urges us to live according to the Spirit, not by the flesh. Our word on Wednesday night during Bible study was from the prophet Haggai. God told the people of Israel to consider their ways. And I've decided I, I would like to do the same. I would like to step back from my own life, kind of step outside of myself and consider my ways. Will you join me? Will you step outside of yourself? And consider your ways. Who's driving your life? Are you being driven by the Holy Spirit or by the flesh? The good news is that we come around the table today to celebrate a way out of flesh-driven life. Bread and juice represent Jesus' body and blood that was broken and spilled so that your fleshly desires could be put to death. As we consider the cross and sing, I encourage you to go to one of the three communion stations and take the cups. Reflect on the work of the cross that put to death your flesh. And consider your ways. Live by the Holy Spirit. And we'll take these cups together as Richard comes to give us a new word. Let's pray. Father God, we are truly grateful for the actions, the decision of your son Jesus Christ to willingly give up his own life for our sins. We're grateful that you have given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live according to your Holy Spirit, to put to death the fleshly desires we're grateful for your grace that teaches us to say no. Lord God, we know that 
The lack of self-control is unhealthy, especially when it rules our life. And I pray, dear Lord, that you'll be with us today as we recommit ourselves to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.